What say you, Trey the Banished? What say me? <laughs> I say you're asking me to follow you into Mordor, which if I'm totally straight with you, I think is a really bad idea. But the Shire, the Shire <laughs> is burning. So Mordor it is. Welcome to the Extra Credits Podcast. I'm Kelsey. And I'm Trey. And this is a podcast where we search for meaning in your favorite movies and shows. And today we are diving deep into the upside down, into Stranger Things. Welcome to Hawkins. Things are getting stranger. Trey, are you ready? You know, that was a that was a pretty metal intro, I, got, I gotta <laughs> say. Guys, this was an awesome season. Let's go. I'm, I'm so, so excited, excited to talk about this. Okay, before we dive into Stranger Things, just in general and season four... Uh, I have to ask you a question, Trey. Ready. You're getting good at these questions. Oh, I know. So first, premise for the question. There's a Stranger Things video game. Hell yeah, let's go. Open world. Okay. Love it. And you get to pick one character and you play their storyline. Who do you choose? That's my a hard question. Yeah, my first reaction is 11 because that would be a lot of fun. Like a fantasy game, you have all these powers. It would kind of yeah. feel like Avatar or Star Wars or that something. That feels like the correct answer. But I'm going to go with Hopper because I think Resident Evil 2 is one of my one of my favorite video games. And I like the idea of being a detective and going through Hawkins and then adding this mystery of like a mysterious element of like having the upside down and all these things happening in your town. And I like the idea of like all the potential side plots you could have with the kids. All the, the rotten pumpkins in yes. season two. I also like the idea of yeah, like solving like random neighbor mysteries, like neighbor fights, but actually figuring out it's like this this deep underworld that's below it. I like um, also the potential for Steve and Maya Hawk's character. What's her name? Robin. Robin, like being at the ice cream shop and like having a side quest where you have to like make ice cream. That's awesome. <laughs> that oh, like you mean like so you're Hopper most of the game, but then yeah. you have side missions? Oh yeah, throughout. I, I like the idea of like them like having their own Apple iPhone game where you like make ice cream quickly. <laughs> what are those food oh, games yeah. you used to play on Nintendo? I think that was a game when we were growing up. Like you have to stack all the ice creams, yes. right? Yeah. And you can't like make it reach the line. Yeah, I think you're playing as Hair the Harrington. Yeah, yeah that'd be cool. <laughs> the Hair. Um, okay, yeah. So I, I love the Hopper answer. Um, I w almost picked Hopper. Okay. And just going back to the 11, I think 11 is the correct answer. Like I said, just because then you have like powers in the game. Yeah. You're going between the like Dr. Brenner plot line. You would escape out as like the beginning of the game, right? Escape Ooh, out of Hawkins laboratory. That is really cool. And then you find like the kids and they, you can just see them like talking in Mike's basement. You know what I mean? You like discover different things in Mike's basement. Yeah. Um, and then being like, this is a promise this is a friend, you know what I mean? And Dustin as like a fun little like side character and Lucas, um, who's kind of like against you in season one. So mm -hmm. I think 11 is like, obviously the correct answer. You just have, so you're open to all the characters. I also thought of Hopper because like solving a mystery, uh, kind of like you said, would be really fun. And that's why I also thought of Nancy. Like I really wanted to play Nancy Drew That would be as Nancy. Yeah. And because I also, Trey knows this, I think. Uh, but I played Nancy Drew gr growing up on a PC? PC. Yeah. And there was a level that I never beat. Like was I it didn't one did with know, clocks? What level was that? Uh, it was the one I was in the, in the backstage of like a play. That's and terrifying. there was a, there was this wooden door and you had to unlock it to go underground. Mm -hmm. 
and I never knew how to beat it. And I didn't have like the, I mean, we had the internet at that point, but I didn't have, you know, like threads of how to get past this Nancy Drew level. Yeah. <laughs> and I never passed the level. I just never did. So I wanted to return as Nancy Drew, Nancy uh, Wheeler in this plot and solve mysteries. Um, is that your choice? That is not my choice. I'm just, I'm just prefacing why I You're do think Hopper and Nancy would be also the most fun for that mystery plot line that you're choosing. Okay. I think for me, I want to have access to all the different characters. Um, so Mike was almost, Mike was, <laughs> yes, Mike was al- almost my, my choice too, because okay. you get to like be in contact with Nancy and everyone. Um, but he just, you know, in season four, we'll talk about Mike. Okay. Not a lot of Mike. We have Mike thoughts. I'm picking Steve. Okay. I'm picking Steve as the person to play. No, it's cool. I get to be the babysitter. There's things that go wrong. I'm in love with Nancy. Um, so it's like I, a Sims game. Like what would you compare <laughs> yeah, this to? Like, so. what, what would his game look like? Are you always getting beat up? Like every well, other that's episode? The thing, Cause like you have 11 as the person who kind of swoops in, in your storyline to solve these like big things like the Demogorgon. Mm-hmm. But Steve ultimately like, think about it. He's the one who's like, I'm going to do good. Like I'm going to go into this house and be scared. Jonathan and Nancy are like trying to kill this Demogorgon. Ultimately, like I'm going to, I'm going to try to help them. Mm-hmm. He's kind of like figuring out you know, at the beginning of Stranger Things that he is not this like jock and doesn't have to perform for what people want and, you know, perform out of fear. And he has like a, a you know, discovering himself story arc. He does. That, where you find out he's the good guy and he wants to jump in Lover's Lake to save everyone. Yeah, it's kind of an anti-hero journey. Like both him and Hopper are two of the most interesting characters because of their journeys. Yes. Yeah. So, so that's a good choice. That was a yeah. great question i'm kind of feeling like we're selling right now <laughs> free ideas you're welcome everybody <laughs> yeah there needs to be a stranger things video game there there are a few i know that there but they're like game boy games or something okay. I, don't, I don't know if game boys are a thing i, I just age myself <laughs> I, I just think they're I, I don't know there's some kind of like nintendo game out there they would be cool if they made like a you know like a pokemon type pixel would stranger you would your game, game be that. scary Yes, for sure. It's okay, because that's the only reason I picked Hopper because oh, yeah. I was thinking of like Resident Evil 2. And- no, I mean, I think that you're actually, your uh, choice would be more fun just because ho- you're right, like Hopper is solving all these mysteries and you'd get to go all over Hawkins. And ultimately, he's the one who breaks into Hawkins' laboratory like multiple times to save Eleven and to figure things out. And he has a love story with Joyce. Like, I think it's probably well, a good choice. What's too. weird is I would play your game, my game, and I would play the the worst of those three, which would be the Nancy game. Not that that's bad at all. It's just Excuse like, me. <laughs> no, no, I'm saying like, it's a Sherlock Holmes with Nancy Wheeler. That's dope. Yeah. It just sucks. She didn't care about Barb and, or, uh, and we'll get to that later. Our guy, Fred, where's Fred? <laughs> we'll Nobody get- cares about Fred. <laughs> we'll get to justice that later. for Fred. <laughs> okay. We're, we are coming back to Nancy. Um, but let's go to season four, part one, volume one. Excuse me. Um, I love that they're going volume one to, t- to kind of like take the attention away that they're splitting the season into two parts. It which feels like I'm reading Ozark got a lot of shit for, yeah. but they're like volume one. Look, it's like this old, it's like a novel. Yeah. yeah it's like Hardy boys, <laughs> Nancy Drew, Stephen King. Adaptation. Look, it's nostalgic. Um, so we got the first seven episodes, uh, for season four. And we're getting season four, part two in July. Volume two. <laughs> Volume two. Excuse me. It's so me. different. <laughs> Which are two episodes that are two hours long, right? In I July. Think, I think one of them's almost two hours and the other is basically the dark night. It's like two and a half hours. Okay. So we're getting movies in July. 
and which we're going to talk about at the end for predictions yes okay so here's the breakdown of today's pod we're going to talk about why we love stranger things why we love season four we think they killed it Mm -hmm. and then i think we'll we'll break it down thematically but before we begin with season four volume one trey tell us about like why you love stranger things Good coming of age stories are rare. I don't care what anybody says. I feel like I always see articles, podcasts, talking about coming of age stories, being overwhelmed by so many. We don't get a lot of good ones. And so I think of them as rare. We might get a huge supply, but they're not always good. And what Stranger Things is, is an excellent opportunity for us to recapture this like nostalgia from the 80s and also get this new generation of kids something to be excited about about their coming of age story their personal life and seeing themselves on screen through these kids and adults seeing themselves a little bit like when they were kids and also through the adults on screen so i think what's special about stranger things is it's able to capture a multi-generational audience Yeah, I agree. I think it'd be really interesting to see Netflix's demo for this. I know they don't release their numbers, but I feel like we have high schoolers watching this, maybe middle schoolers, uh, adults, uh, both people like in their 20s, but also 30s and 40s, like also people who who grew up in the 80s. So I do feel like it has hit a lot of age groups, but I would be interested to see the numbers. Yeah, we'll never see those numbers. (laughs) Um, Netflix. I also... Hawkins Lab. I also believe that the Duffer brothers just have their finger on a pulse of something that maybe we just don't understand how to do yet. Or like much of Hollywood doesn't know how to do, which is they are rehashing old IP and they're doing it in a way that doesn't feel exploitative of nostalgia. It feels very genuine. Yeah. It feels like it's honoring. Yeah. It's a tribute. It's so weird though, because when you watch a new Star Wars film, it doesn't feel like that. Or you watch a new Fantastic Beast movie. It definitely doesn't feel like that. Listen to our previous podcast. And even in like, (laughs) I guess basically anything most ip stories that are driven off past stories always feel a little bit like i feel icky after them and in stranger things we've seen a lot of these 80s movies that they're talking about maybe we didn't grow up in that generation but it always feels very much like they are honoring it which is so cool so i just wanted to shout out the duffer brothers they feel like they are authentic and kelsey i found this in research i almost honestly i almost started crying because (laughs) of how validated i felt but the duffer brothers were inspired by a Denis Villeneuve flick in 2013 called Prisoners. No way. One of my favorite films of all time. No way. And I don't think any. Maybe Trey has talked about this on the podcast I think before. I've it. If you've listened, but Prisoners, I I think is Trey's favorite. One of his favorite movies. Yeah, next to Alien <laughs> and a few others, it's in my top five for sure. That's wild. Yeah, which is weird because I thought about it and I was like, Alien, Prisoners. The Stranger Things, like I feel like, is this why I feel so connected to Stranger Things? Because they've touched on these weird foundations of my own life and what art I like. And I think a lot of people relate to that because they're touching on like 30 different IPs. Like they're talking about so much different content that people love from novels to to movies or shows. And I thought that, I don't know, I just wanted to give them a quick shout out because it's it's weird not to. And also, if anybody's interested, do a deep dive on the story of how Stranger Things came to be because there is such a an interesting pre-production into Stranger Things, what they tried to do in selling the story and trying to get cable television networks and to try to get to other streamers. Okay. Yeah. They were trying to pitch the story of what they called Montauk at the time. And it was Imagine gonna, if this was on TNT. It'd be such a different... <laughs> it would be very explosive. They, they were trying to sell as a story in New York and every service and company was 
asking them to do it through Hopper and not the kids because they didn't think they could sell a story with kids. And they wanted to make it 22 episodes and cut down on the money for each episode to kind of like reallocate it to make it longer. And Netflix was like, I got you. And they worked with Sean Levy and his production company and they got it going on an eight episode series and they bought the rights for one season. And that's where they've been since. So they wanted to make it a detective movie or show. A show. Yeah, detective show. I think they wanted to make it more like X-Files. So mm-hmm. not really something I'm like super into. I've really never given it that much of a shot since I've been a kid. But that's, I think, what, you know, cable television saw it more as, which, you know, honestly, that makes sense. But Netflix jumped on it. They were like, we're going to ride this out because House of Cards is ending in 2016, 2017. And Orange is the New Black has a has a good demo that's that's that believes in that story. But ne- Netflix didn't have anything to like hang its hat on, I guess. So it's they- so weird to think Stranger Things came out then. Yeah, like, it feels like it was weirdly like recent, but also it does feel like a long time ago at the same time. I guess it's because of the IP. And um, I think season four, to kind of go back into what, what we're talking about today, season four was awesome because it took all the individual elements of one through three, meshed them together, and made something that I think all lovers of Stranger Things could enjoy. I think this is probably their best season. So I rewatched season one and tried to rewatch all of it before season four. I did not make the cut. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I loved season one. I do think so far, not having rewatched season two and three, right now, I would say season four is the best. But I'm going to make it before July. I've made it my own mission to rewatch season two and three also. Yeah. I mean, we watched a lot of like YouTube kind of breakdowns season two and three to remember some things and read some stuff, but I definitely wish we could have gotten there too. But after finishing season one, like I didn't think I was going to be that emotionally invested. I think I, I cried again in season one yeah. like after already <laughs> seeing it twice already. And I, I mean, I don't know if anybody remembers this, but Will totally dies in season one. Like they, everyone believes that at least Every, everyone believes Will is dead fake Will body. in the lake. And that was frightening. And like, the, the season one you can tell that the inspiration was prisoners because it had its finger on a pulse of like True, this like kind of sadness kid. and missing yeah. kids and season two was way more dramatic a bit more lighthearted and comedic and you got the introduction of billy and it was kind of rehashing the will ptsd story i think it's probably my least favorite season but still really great and then the third season which i thought what they were going to go into more was this like action comedy in this mall and it was probably the most binge-worthy television season i've seen ever i think stranger things season three is like i remember binging that i remember and, loving and having three, fun yeah. every single episode like they weren't like some of the best content or themes i've ever seen but in terms of just like bingeable content it felt like i was watching a series of youtube videos that i loved or something <laughs> and weirdly season three was probably the least honoring to stranger things like it didn't really have that stranger things season one sentimentality um and stranger things four recaptures that and I think they re-engage with that in a really cool way. They are making kids go to darker places, but it's not exactly like a horror, but it has horror themes. And they have a lot of genre blending. And even though it was a 24-hour binge, I was still captivated in it, even though it was emotional. And it reminded me of Harry Potter for us. I can see it. I actually have some Voldemort comps in my notes oh, later. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. We noted that when we were watching it, but I was thinking it more the from friendship. how teens are probably taking Stranger Things right now. Yeah. Like if you're 2016, you're 15 years old and you start watching Stranger Things season one, that makes you what? Like 21 now. And so if you're 21 years old watching season four, you've kind of grown up with these kids and some of the characters like Steve, for example, who went from high school to college and it reminds me a lot of when we watched Harry Potter from four, five, and six, like Goblet of Fire to Half Blood Prince, True, and how emotionally yeah. invested we were in the characters and how much darker it got. And even though they were still funny, 
it was like laughing at their own trauma. And it was definitely for me, at least I got like my own Harry Potter nostalgia in this. So I thought that was very, very cool. Um, yeah. And you, I mean, you see these characters kind of go through different like dilemmas, like moral dilemmas, friendship, um, you know, we'll talk about it later, but like moving apart. Yeah. I, mm -hmm. I like that comp. And ultimately we get to see the effects of childhoods like destroyed by trauma in season four. And instead of this kind of like exciting intrigue into danger, which the first three seasons felt like in world building, this one definitely feel like repercussions of being in a, or being getting older. That's what season four feels like. But I don't want to go too deep into Stranger Things season four yet. Kels, why do you love Stranger Things? Yeah, I mean, I think like answer similar to yours. I just love the character arcs. I love that it's a, it feels a real, like a really authentic coming of age story. Mm -hmm. The best parts of Stranger Things are not the monsters. It's the like talking in rooms, you know, it's yes. like the conversations between the characters and like the party in the basement playing Dungeons and Dragons and figuring out like, I think a lot of season one was them all thinking about, should we tell our parents? Should we figure this <laughs> yeah. out? Like them just debating. Um, and then also just really feeling seen. Like, I feel like there's a lot of moments where characters express their insecurity about like Will, for, for instance, being mm -hmm. called a freak at school. And Jonathan goes, I'm a freak. Like yeah. you don't yeah. have to do things just because other people tell you you're supposed to. And I think they're just like really beautiful moments. And this, this quote from stand by me has been used a lot to talk about stranger things. And I don't know if actually the Duffer brothers maybe talked about this quote and the creation of it, but the party uh, and the idea of Dustin, Lucas, Mike and 11 and Max. Okay. And then also the, obviously the older kids mm -hmm. feels a lot like the quote of, I never had any friends later on, like the ones I had when I was 12. Jesus, does anyone? And I feel like that's like the thesis of this show. And it and it works. That's incredible research on your part, or at least just kind of like just reflecting on the Stranger Things story, because you obviously don't know, which is cool. You're going to freak out about this. What? That the Duffer brothers made every, they I think they looked at over a thousand children to play the cast mm -hmm. of Stranger Things. And they made them all read lines from from stand no by me way. i think specifically that's that cool. line was one of the lines i saw online so that's really cool that's awesome yeah. um but yeah it feels really like true to what it felt like to have friends when you were younger you know like it feels like the show even though they're in school sometimes uh like summer vacation you know and the vibe of just being so present but also time is moving really slow um then you're so focused on what is going on in the moment like mm -hmm. that weird uh, contradiction of slow moving time, but also everything feels like it's really heightened Yeah, in childhood. That's what feels like Stranger to be a kid. Things. Yeah. yeah. And even though there are different, you know, character experiences, mm -hmm. like Mike growing up in the suburbs, I think Jonathan and Nancy have a conversation about this early on while they're looking for Barb in the woods yeah. and Will yeah. in season one. And then we have Max and who's growing up in a trailer park with an abusive stepdad and brother and then alcoholic mother. Mm-hmm. Even though all these characters are are going through different experiences, the reason Stranger Things is so successful and nostalgic is it feels like childhood where your friends are like the glue of your world. Yes. Like the world is both scary and unknown and you're kind of like still figuring out the rules and your friends are there like for you in this experiment. So I think it feels very similar to the Sandlot, even though that came out in the nineties, I think. Right. Mm -hmm. And the, the Goonies. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Goonies. They're going on this adventure, but ultimately like 
they're the glue like in this world that's a mystery so that's why i love stranger things yes couldn't agree more and i think that's why season four we both agree is the best season thus far because it is thematically rich yes and not only do we have the glue of this friendship and these kids that we've like grown with for the past five six years but we also have an arc of a villain which is brand new vecna Vecna, who number one, number one, Spider, Spider Boy, Boy who, <laughs> who we literally get a deep journey with, arguably more than any character on Stranger Things. Like we understand Vecna's beginnings as a young child to this demon that he is now, and I think what Vecna gives us are real world stakes that the kids haven't had before in previous seasons, and so it allows the themes to be more, I guess, profound throughout this this whole entire season. And I think it's probably one of the reasons we were the most emotional and emotional and intellectually engaged. Right. They could have just had like another monster from the upside down yeah, come exactly. into this. Like Demogorgon 4.0. But instead they have a meaningful villain. Yes. Like we have someone who is praying uh, for his own reasons, which we'll get into later, on unresolved trauma. Mm-hmm. And there's this kind of like horror trope made into a 2022, like the kids are not all right. Yeah. And that's interesting. And we'll, we'll talk about that as it, it goes on with themes. But just before that, I was surprised that Stranger Things went so scary. It was a true horror for me. Uh, there were some brutal scenes when Chrissy, uh, you know, got taken from the trance by Vecna. I looked at Trey and said, wait, it, did Netflix like approve this? Yeah. <laughs> is this okay? I was like, is this rated R? Yeah. It Honestly, was crazy. Though, I'm actually curious about the age rating. For that. <laughs> yeah. So before we go into that, just know that I was, I was scared throughout all these episodes. Yeah. Okay. So let's go into themes because I think this was a really like thematically rich season and that's why it was the best season. So let's kind of start with the California kids. We have this idea of leaving childhood, growing apart as the party is moving into high school and the pressures of wanting to fit in and be quote unquote normal. And I know Mike lives in Hawkins. Okay. But for the most part, he's in California for the season. Mm -hmm. And let's go ahead and start with angsty Mike. Okay. I don't, I don't really personally love this like teenage Mike, like the world is against me. Like. The characterization kind of makes sense because he was rebellious in season one and season two and season three, I guess, and wanting to like help his friends and like not want to tell his mom about it. No, I guess see, that's true. So I guess it kind of makes sense that he is being a little bit more of a jerk. Um, but yeah, I guess he is with Will too. So yeah, Mike is just angsty and like angry and rebellious at this stage <laughs> in his life. So get over it, Mike. It's weird though, because he had such good communication skills. I thought, especially in season one, like he actually, or and also in season two, when he checked on Will, I feel yeah. like he was the only one who was like, Hey, like, are you okay? And sometimes like, I feel crazy too. Sometimes I have like these thoughts, you know, mm-hmm. he was good at, at communicating. I but- was going to say it as a nitpick, but I didn't know if it was too soon, but yeah, I think the characterization of Mike, even though I just kind of said it, there was some evidence I'm kind of giving it an excuse. It's just bad writing. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think it's good writing for him. It seems like they were like Finn Wolfhard as an individual, we're going to kind of capitalize on how he's like, kind of doesn't really care about anything. He's like apathetic. The girls like it. And we're just going to like use that as his character now. And that's kind of what they did. Yeah. And I think with Mike and 11 too, that was something that maybe because in previous seasons, we've gotten so much Mike and 11 yeah. driving the story. That makes sense. That they just decided to do a little bit at the beginning of the season. And I'm assuming we'll see more in the July episodes where yeah. 11 comes back and Mike has finally kind of worked through his own 
journey of not being like he calls himself selfish and um at least he says self-pitying right when yeah. he's apologizing to will he does so that, maybe yeah. he was go- you know now i'm seeing it a little differently okay maybe he's going on his own journey before he meets up with 11 um in july yeah but still i felt like the mike 11 um felt a little off and just just weird i i did like the idea of growing apart because they're living on opposite sides of the country uh, for Mike and 11 and that long distance relationship and just being young and 11 kind of like hiding, you know, what she's going through with Mike yeah. and Mike not really knowing how to react. Um, I thought that, I thought that was a interesting storyline, but kind of didn't feel true to Mike. Well, what did you think about Mike and Will? I really liked them and Will. Okay. Awesome. Um, yeah. Just because, I mean, I didn't like it at first cause I was like, why is he being, like a jerk to will yeah um we had will who made the painting for mike and we had that awesome opening from 11 saying i think he has like a crush on someone he's making a painting for them yeah and and then he brought the painting to the airport it was very nice he misses his best friend yeah yeah and then we have the moment at the ice rink where he's like what what about us like you're talking about 11 but you used to be my best friend like we fell out of touch too yeah and later on we see Mike say like, I'm sorry. And he was just talking about something that's really relatable, which is like growing apart from people. And he felt like he kind of lost Will and he was just like treading water back in Hawkins sort of, even though he had people who he felt he was close with, he didn't have 11 and Will to confide in, right? Yeah. Like he didn't have the people where he felt seen. And so he says, I'm sorry. And ultimately it's, interesting because he's kind of like rejecting his childhood by being mean to will i think like he's trying to be like i'm growing up and i'm not i'm not that kid anymore right kind of similar to the scene where he talks to will like what do you think we're just gonna play like dungeons and dragons in my basement forever um a similar vibe now that he's in high school like he's rejecting uh his his childhood that's a really good reading what do you think about the sexuality conversation of will do you think that him wanting to reach out to Mike or wanting to talk to Mike more uh, is because he misses his best friend or the way some people have been reading it as if he's interested in Mike. Cause that's not the way I, t- I take it at all. I see it as will missing his best friend, kind of like what you're saying and maybe wanting to talk to him about what his life has been like as he's moved to California and maybe his own life. And like, even when Mike comes to like, you know, talk about his relationship with L with Will later on, it still feels kind of selfish because he's not asking Will about him or his life or his friends that he's made, or I guess maybe hasn't made mm-hmm. and what his hobbies are like painting or whatever the case. Um, so do, do you think there's anything yeah. there like relationship wise, like he's interested in that or do you think it's more of a friend dynamic? Well, I think it's more of a friend dynamic okay. and it's because rewatching season one before this, like Will has always looked up to Mike. Like Mike is this kind of outgoing in the previous seasons yeah, yeah. character who is kind of always at least speaking out for what he feels is right. And Will kind of feels more reserved. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's always kind of looked up to Mike. So I can understand where people were maybe interpreting that one from 11 saying the comment about the crush and the painting and mm-hmm. him bringing that painting to the airport and two, uh, will looking at Mike a lot throughout the scenes. Uh, I think people were interpreting that as a crush, but will has always looked at Mike that way, um, throughout their friendship. Yeah. And I really do think that it's will seeing Mike as the only person that he can confide in. He's like yeah. kind of like watching him to see like, am I safe with this person to, ultimately like come out to Mike and because I think that's who he will confide confide in first and we see that in the junkyard conversation that they have 
where Mike is confiding and will saying, I regret not saying something to 11 before she left. Maybe mm-hmm. she would have wanted to take me with her. And will says, you know, sometimes I think it's scary to open up like that. I think to say how we really feel right. Especially to the people we care about most is scary because what if they don't like the truth? Yeah. And great quote. Yeah. And so I think that I, I don't interpret it, you know, as him having a crush on Mike, I really do think that he is looking for someone that he can just be truthful with. And Mike, Mike is that person in his life. Yeah. This show feels way more authentic than giving us a really bad writing few episodes. If, if Mike is just like, or Will's just angry at 11 because he loves Mike. Like and that also, seems so off. The frankly, beat Will this. can do better than Mike. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, okay. Who else do we have? Who's growing apart? Okay. So we have Jonathan Byers. All right who this is weird because we said that season four is the best season yet, but I think we're starting with our nitpicks ironically uh, with this theme. It's our quick reaction. So whatever. But Jonathan kind of has this leaving childhood and not the pressures of wanting to, to fit in, but this growing apart from Nancy, the tension of, should I go to college with Nancy um, or should I stay with my family? Mm -hmm. And he in that golf scene which was awesome with his new friend argyle yeah um was talking about like the cycle never ends kind of going off of their conversation that they had in the woods nancy and jonathan Mm -hmm. about not wanting to end up kind of like their parents right yeah yeah. um and so that was kind of sad he's like no man she's gonna hate me forever he's got (laughs) like the golf club behind his head that was such that was both of them really well acted yeah and argyle was like you got me stressed and it's not not even my girlfriend girlfriend. (laughs) (laughs) and I just I mean I really was stressed for Jonathan because I really care about Jonathan I love him but the writing didn't feel like consistent with his character he wanted to go to NYU yeah he was into film like he had his camera and he had that I guess it was Bob's camera he borrowed for like Halloween or whatever and gave to Will Mm -hmm. but he had this whole arc of like not communicating with others, but having his own way of communicating. Like I think at some point he said to Nancy that um, not everyone says how they feel all the time, but if you like capture a moment in a picture, like it says more, something like that. Yeah. And I was like, where's this Jonathan? Yeah. I didn't know if I did see that he got in trouble with something like drugs or something like in 2018. So I was kind of thinking, are they rewriting this? Oh, like the actor? Yeah. Oh. Like, yeah. Jonathan, uh, what is his name? It's Charlie Heaton. Um, and he seems wonderful. I've watched a lot of his interviews. I think I think it was just like a small something happened in an airport. I'm not sure. And then I was like, okay, nothing serious happened there. It was like a couple of years ago. So maybe that's not exactly what happened. Maybe him and Nat- Natalia Dyer, who plays uh, Nancy. Wheeler, Nancy, uh, maybe they broke up. But no, I checked on all those things. And from what I understand or from what the super fans understand, like everything seems to be chill. <laughs> so they just wrote him as a stoner, which is cool. Like it makes sense that he's smokes weed i guess like and it's just like reflecting on life but you're right i've totally forgot about the camera stuff and like nyu dream yeah so weird yeah i don't know so it felt weird and and kind of like how we were just talking with mike it felt like a really abrupt shift in character that didn't totally make sense but even more so with jonathan um because 
where did his dream for NYU go? I feel like we didn't get any context. Maybe I'll rewatch season two and three and get a little bit more, but I doubt it. So yeah. anyway, going on to the dinner scene. Hell yeah. <laughs> this is the best scene of Stranger Things. I think possibly the best scene of yeah. season four. Yes. I think of all of the seasons to me. Yeah. And we have like Jonathan. <laughs> he's like, wait, what's happening? And Joyce is like, I'm going to see, you know, Brian and Joan Britannica in Alaska. <laughs> um, and we have Murray. <laughs> I sense tension. <laughs> Yeah, he was like, I sense tension. Is it the risotto? Yeah, everyone hates the risotto, right? <laughs> what does Argyle say? He's like, He's this like, this risotto is smacking, yeah. dude. He was like, you, so you ever see good. these roller skate assaults? Oh, yeah, he was like, Ro- roller skate attacks. That yeah, was man. so good. And I think there was like a comment in there because Murray was like, who is this guy? Like, yeah. still don't know who this guy is. And I think that was a comment because I still kind of don't know who Murray is. <laughs> I'm like, wait, what is he doing here? I feel like the writing is was pretty meta. Well, didn't we say that a few times this season? Like it felt like the the uh, the Duffer brothers were riding in a yeah. funny way. <laughs> but okay, I think I think we'll um, maybe talk more about uh, Jonathan and our predictions, like in season two. But ultimately, love Jonathan. In season I, four, volume two. See, yeah, four season four, volume two. Mm-hmm. Um, but I ultimately feel like you know there wasn't a great arc for Jonathan, and I was a little bit sad to see him kind of drop off. Yeah, it was bad. And then his relationship to Nancy was weird too. So I guess we can talk about Nancy. Yeah. Okay. Let's let, yeah, let's talk about the Jonathan and Nancy or Nancy and Steve. Boo. Yeah. Um, which I'm, wait, I'm surprised. I thought you would like Nancy and Steve. I love Steve. Steve. I want my guy to be happy, but also can I get some like serious characterization for Nancy that isn't, doesn't have to do with whatever Jonathan or Steve are deciding. Like that's kind of weird. Yeah. Well, she runs a paper. Come on. It felt like when Robin said like you flinch every time I say Jonathan's name, I was like, wait, like chill out on Jonathan. Okay. Like yeah, why are all these people getting in her, their business too? Like, cause so did Eddie, right? Eddie asked Nancy. Yeah. It was really strange. They were having Robin and Eddie kind of like push that plot forward. Dustin and Dustin yeah Dustin was like um so do you want to talk about it and Steve was like what What? and he was like that public like uh display uh, or whatever yeah public you're throwing yourself at Nancy he's like that didn't happen he was like oh no no there were witnesses it was it was public (laughs) that's what he said he had a lot of good lines but also like yeah Eddie was pushing Steve towards Nancy too like the after he jumped in lover's lake and they were actually in the upside down he was like listen it was very metal what you did back there (laughs) (laughs) he's like i myself could not do that and he talked about being jealous which we'll talk about um the older brother trope of that eddie and and steve both have in dustin's life which i love yeah um but ultimately he was like listen i was not going to go in there after you but these ladies they came in right after you and wheeler she didn't hesitate for a second. I was like, she hesitated for like <laughs> seven <laughs> seconds. <laughs> and if I were you, I'd get her back. It was the most unambiguous sign of true love these cynical eyes have ever seen. <laughs> yeah, if you're going to write this relationship back together, that's how you do it, though. But so. I mean, they also like the writing in the It House. You know, they did have moments where they were trying to like ship Nancy and Steve uh, when she's rapping, you know, the her, like bandaging his bat wound um, in the Upside Down. Like we have yeah. all these things that are pushing us towards Nancy and Steve. Yeah, yeah. And I was just like, why? Like Jonathan is a lovely person. It does He's, feel like they're writing mad at the show a little. yeah like more self-aware well we'll talk about that in a second because that's one of my nitpicks yeah but um just as far as jonathan and nancy i just felt like it wasn't fair or um it yeah. wasn't like it, it, i was kind of annoyed while it was going on i think it was really cool i wish they were just more aware about this but i think what they were doing which is why i'm going to apologize for the writers again here for the same with the other nitpick i guess um 
it's because long distance relationships pre-cell phones, I'm assuming, were really rocky. That makes sense. And yeah. that's kind of what this feels like. But I wish they kind of said that more often. Like, I can't even... Well, she did say I can't even get in contact with him. Apparently, right. his phone exploded. And I, I can imagine <laughs> being in a long distance relationship and not talking for days feels like years and not talking for weeks feels like are we even dating anymore are you with someone else and so i kind of wish they touched on that even more than the steve nancy stuff because then anything that would have happened between nancy and steve would have felt more authentic that's yeah so that's true yeah i guess i guess they did kind of plant seeds for that too okay yeah okay Uh, i can i can be cool with that so let's let's talk about lucas really quick I, I really liked, and we'll talk about him as he goes into Max and his relationship later. Yeah. But I liked the beginning of this high school moment for the party. Yeah. Like, you know, we have the Hellfire Club with Dustin and Mike. Um, and then we have Lucas who he says he's like tired of being bullied his whole life. And he wants to not be only like cool, but mostly he wants to be cool and in with the in crowd, Mm -hmm. um, through playing basketball because he's just tired of being bullied. Like he just wants to feel like he belongs. Yeah. And I thought that was a a good like theme and, and certainly relatable to a lot of people with this new high school era, leaving childhood pressures of wanting to fit in. And he he wasn't being a jerk either. That's what was nice about it. I was expecting Mm -hmm. him to kind of turn a little bit on people, which he kind of did with his D&D group because that guy, one of the D&D guys totally got beat up in that garage. Oh, yeah. And he was just like, man, we just need to know where like we're going to go find Eddie. And they were like, what? Lucas. So that was kind of a messed up moment they didn't come back to. But besides that, he was not, he was trying to keep all of his young friends and he was also trying to like talk to Max again. So yeah, his characterization was well done. Um, I, I do think it's interesting that he ends up like kind of getting away from the jocks and nothing happens to him. I thought mm-hmm. for a moment that they were going to like catch up to him. They were going to really give this eighties trope of this, like basically these, these jocks beating up the guy, the nerd. Yeah. I thought that's what they were going to do or they were going to do with Dustin. So that might come back, unfortunately in the last two episodes. Actually. In July. Yeah. It might come back because the jocks are still searching. They're searching. They're going to find someone. Yeah. It could be Eddie. It could be Dustin. And now they be. have the whole like town militia on their, on their side, which, okay, which I think we're going to jump into hysteria as the second theme in just a second. But before that, just Robin and Steve, just a beautiful, like new friendship. Um, blockbuster you know, from last season, but carried into this season, the family video. Yeah. yeah the blockbuster. And they are just best friends who want the best for each other. Yeah. I mean, they have a beautiful friendship. They set up beautifully in season three. And I think this season, Robin is a little bit more fleshed out. Um, But in ways that kind of surprised me a little bit, much like Jonathan, I thought they kind of set up Robin to be this very hyper-intelligent, apathetic person working at this ice cream place because she needed money. That's how I remember Because she was well-read, though. But then they're talking about her as being like in poverty, but not smart. Haven't they yeah. kind of referenced that a few times in this season? Like she's kind of like out of the blue. She doesn't like know things. Like, do they kind of note that a couple of times? Like she was yeah, kind of confused I don't know. about a, some things. Yeah, there was a vibe that she was like unaware or something. Yeah, unaware is the best way to put it. You're right. Like, it, yeah. And, and she, like she was following along with with people like people were catching she was struggling to connect the dots where i felt like before she was like no no like step out of the way like i will solve this russian uh you know exactly like a symbol i also know four languages and it's like oh god are you a cia agent and like in this season it's kind of like they start her at a lower point and they allow her to kind of be brought up throughout the season like when she has her monologue when she's talking to the ward to kind of get her in to talk to victor oh yeah and 
uh, she's going off and I'm like, hell yeah, this is a great Robin scene. Go Robin. I love Robin. But it took us like four or five episodes to get there. So that was pretty intense. Yeah. Okay. So we're leaving the theme of like leaving childhood, growing apart, pressures of wanting to fit in. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I guess just to cap this, like, even though we think Mike, Jonathan, and some of the the characters didn't have like a through line from the other seasons, ultimately I do think it was successful. I don't know about you, but just having that theme present because it just makes sense. Like they're at this moment in their life where they are growing apart and they're starting to deal with these, these issues. I wish I had more moments like I did in season two and three, where they made it very clear that characters like Will, but everybody else in this from Jonathan to Steve, whoever felt like they were growing apart from other characters. I wish they kind of had more conversations in rooms, like at the beginning of the pod, like you said about that. But ultimately, yes, I think the themes were transparent in that, in this category. Awesome. Okay. So speaking of Robin and characters that just Stranger Things does such a wonderful job with just making them full and amazing right at the jump. Yeah. Developed in the first episode. Amazing. Let's go into the theme of hysteria and Eddie, the leader of our satanic cult. (laughs) Eddie. So we have Hellfire, right? And the town thinking that D&D is a satanic cult. Yeah. Um, and then we have this, like, in the first episode, this amazing intro to Eddie's character. Um, we have the music that felt very Sandlot-esque, mm, the kind of, like, rock music. I didn't notice that. And he's in the cafeteria, and it opens with him reading a Newsweek article. <laughs> And he goes, the devil has come to America. Nice. Dungeons and dragons. <laughs> <laughs> At first regarded as a harmless game of make-believe, now has both parents and psychologists concerns. Ooh. Studies have linked violent behavior to this game, saying it promotes satanic worship, ritual sacrifice, sodomy, <laughs> suicide, and even murder. Are you about to stand on the table? <laughs> oh, my God. That was such an awesome intro to a character. Yeah. Yeah. And then he stands on the table and the kids are like, man, society has to blame someone, right? Like we're an easy (laughs) target. And Eddie's like, exactly. Like we're the freaks, right? Like, and just because we like this fantasy game, like we're blamed. Yeah. And he's like, (laughs) but as long as you're into band or science or parties (laughs) and this guy at the like cool table who looks like a total prep like flips him off (laughs) i don't know if you noticed i did not notice and he's like or a game where you toss balls into laundry baskets um and he's like but it's force conforming that's what's killing the kids that's the real monster that was really sick (laughs) that was a really really cool monologue he had and also it was so good it was jarring at first the way he did like how you just did that really well and and it but for it took me a second when watching it and then as soon as he kind of got up and said he was like fam- he's like in his third year of a senior year or something like <laughs> yeah, that yeah he said i'm cr- i'm army crawling my way to yeah. a d in miss o'donnell's <laughs> yeah as soon as he said that i was like this actor is on one like he is stealing a scene he took his opportunity and he ate it like he's killing it oh it's the championship <laughs> <laughs> so good yeah um but I, I just loved that scene immediately fell in love with Eddie and every moment I was like paying attention to, to what he said. I think you're right. He like stole the scene in every moment purposefully. Mm-hmm. Um, and <laughs> 86 baby, I can feel it. This is going to be my year. Um, but I also really <laughs> liked like that Dustin and Mike were in this hellfire club. Like there was this irony that there was all this hysteria around hellfire in D and D which is our characters like safe haven, you know, it's like their grown up like oh, AV yeah. club. Yeah. Um, and so there's this conflict of people, not only they already feel like outcasts or they like, they don't belong, 
but the whole town is now saying that they are in a satanic cult <laughs> like, yeah. and this is the only place where they feel you know seen and and welcomed you were wearing a weird al yankovich t-shirt i thought that was brave <laughs> i love when eddie says that <laughs> and he was like and mike you were wearing all the clothes your mom was buying for you at the gap <laughs> and that was such a actually that was a great acting um scene with mike because he like kind of yeah. smirked it off <laughs> Finn wolfhard is a really good actor yeah so uh also while we're on the subject of dungeon and dragons i love how the writers make this game foreshadow kind of what's to come in the season. Like season one, we have the Demogorgon and Mike's campaign that he's leading in his basement with the kids. And in this one, we have Vecna's curse, which was a really cool scene with Erica subbing in for Lucas. Yeah. Do you think that maybe this D and D game they're playing is demonic? (laughs) I feel like, (laughs) I feel like every, every season so far, whatever game they've been playing from Demogorgons to, um, this new villain what's his name Vec- vecna vecna i feel like it starts off the season with them playing D explaining what the plot is going to be for the whole season and then it happens is it a magic board <laughs> should we re you know publish the newsweek article is it jumanji <laughs> actually that's funny it's jumanji um but yeah i mean i i loved that and i love the idea of eddie kind of having this really like i'm weird and like even when the jocks at the table, he was like, what do you want something? You yeah. know, Jason, the, the main uh, blonde haired jock. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Eddie was like doing the, <laughs> the like <laughs> devil horns. I can't With even do out. it uh, in audio format, but he's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did everybody get that? Yeah. <laughs> it's Kelsey doing devil, devil yeah. horns with tongue sticking out. <laughs> and I just, I love that. He was like, so like I'm metal. And then like throughout the season, he is like, I, wait, I'm scared of what is happening. Like when Vecna's curse is actually here, you know, like when he was eating like uh, the honeycombs and like having Yahoo or maybe that was later, Yoo-hoo. but when he was in you, yeah. Uh, when he was in the boathouse, the kids were like, Hey, listen, like we believe you kind of going on this hysteria, like theme. Mm-hmm. Cause Eddie was like, I, you probably think I'm like crazy. Um, And the kids were like, no, no, no. Like Hawkins is kind of cursed. Yeah. Like it's not way off. Um, There's another world that's hidden beneath Hawkins and sometimes it bleeds into ours. And Eddie goes, wait, like ghosts and shit. And Max (laughs) goes, there's some things that are worse than ghosts. And so I I love that foreshadowing of Vecna being the person who's like cursing people, the spellcaster, the dark wizard, the undead creature of great power. Mm -hmm. Um, And that being foreshadowed in the D and D game and people just freaking out about D and D and then Eddie progressively being afraid of like Vecna. (laughs) Yeah, that's great. Um, But yeah, so also I, I think, with hysteria, even though it's not necessarily about like the idea of D and D and the satanic cult, Mm -hmm. but just the idea of kids being like afraid of each other. Um, Eddie and Chrissy have this like beautiful moment in the, in the first episode. Oh yeah. That was really nice. Remember when When they were sitting down at the the table? Yeah. (laughs) Oh yeah. It was sweet. Um, and, and Chrissy goes, I thought you were going to be mean and scary. And yeah, Eddie yeah. was like, I thought you were going to be mean and scary too. That was a cool scene. And did, is it just me or did the Eddie actor, his name is, so he's, he's Eddie Munson and Joseph Quinn. Um, also Eddie Van Halen, maybe I think mm. there might be a shout out there, but Joseph Quinn does such a good job. He reminds me of Heath Ledger from that one movie where he sings. 10 things I hate about you. Is that what it is? You're okay. right. Yeah. He really gives, he gives me that, that vibe. vibe. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what it is about that, but that scene makes me think of that when he's kind of dancing next to the tree for a second, he kind of moves his body <laughs> and like a, he's like really excited that she remembers his band name. And I was like, Oh my God, is this, is this Heath? 
was really cool. Yeah. Um, so I, I loved that and the kind of like the ability to like see each other, but ultimately the moral panic comes to that kind of head where Jason, the main jock, cause I had to look up his name. I just kept referring to him as like blonde guy, the jock. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, he has these purposeful preacher vibes and these like fear-based appeals. Like he starts his like sermon kind of at the pep rally in episode one. Right. Mm-hmm. And he's like talking about all of Hawkins deaths. And he's like, did they just die so we could lose the championship? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then like later he has the same sort of like uh you know rhetorical choices in his speech at the town hall where he's like um you know what we need to go like get this evil out of here like eddie is in the satanic cult and like basically forms up like a militia of hawkins (laughs) like still blaming dnd and ultimately it's kind of like the town wanting to have this quick answer right you know like this is the one thing we're going to blame for all this craziness happening. Um, when in reality, we're going to find out, I think that the kids like need to talk to people. Right. Which was pretty cool because they kept referencing at the same time, like Watergate and cold war and, and red scare and it being the Reagan era. There's just these, all these kind of like political issues meshed throughout the plot line too, without being directly referenced all the time from like Reagan posters to, to them just talking about or referencing different things in culture, like Watergate. I thought that was very cool, like juxtaposed, with Jason's character so that was really well done yeah and so I think I think we're moving into now the main reason that Vecna is cursing these children yeah his purpose right he's not just a demigorgon trying to eat people's faces yes yeah. <laughs> use fire against him that's I <laughs> didn't Steve at one point he was like he's a vampire no <laughs> also oh my god I'm so glad you said that in my prep for this when I was looking at Vecna so I don't know if you know this but Vecna is one of the the most dangerous antagonist in Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, I did not know like that. Like in real like in real Dungeons and Dragons. And he has a he is um uh thwarted by his uh, partner in crime. He is like a Robin that's evil. He's like to Batman. Like if he's Batman, he has an evil Robin with him. Interesting. And the evil Robin is a vampire. A vampire character in Dungeons and Dragons. Do you and, think that's why we have bats as the, his like sidekick? And he referenced, yeah, and he referenced like the vampire Steve did, and so we might get in the next two episodes some kind of like new additional like someone ta- doing tag his team bidding. antagonist. Yeah, interesting. I love so, that. I'm I bet D and D fans, you can you can let us know because we we don't play D and D. Yeah, that was the I'd first be open to playing Dungeons and Dragons. By the way, that was the first paragraph on Wikipedia for Vecna. So like, if I'm <laughs> wrong on that, call me out. I've never played D and D in my entire life. I, I'm not opposed, but I've yeah, never done it. but I'm I'm sure people feel seen. You know, yeah. um, the D and D is getting a lot of like awesome advertisement. Um, but so let's go into the reason why Vecna is cursing these children okay um and why i love season four basically what max says is that vecna is hunting people who are haunted by trauma yeah um but there's a a really big through line of the children and people like working through their trauma to either find strength or to at least let it not control them Mm -hmm. like we see chrissy um, I have nerd boy here, but I found out his name was Fred. <laughs> his name is Fred. <laughs> Sorry, Fred. Remember the name. <laughs> Sorry, Fred. Come on. Um, and Patrick. Okay. And so each one of these characters, Chrissy had an eating disorder um, and it, it had a very much like a Carrie vibe. Um, her mom like talking about her one, needing to fit in dresses. Um, and then we had Fred who was haunted by this unresolved guilt of thinking that he killed the people he was 
uh, I, I'm assuming he may have like caused the car crash. That one was um, pretty crazy because I was like, yeah, that's pretty messed up. Yeah. <laughs> you watched that guy burn alive and then never told anybody about it. I was like, this is rough. Yeah. I, well, I mean, they said that you didn't, they were like, you didn't call the police immediately. Yeah. Tough. Um, yeah so <laughs> tough look for Fred. Yeah. Tough look for Fred. Um, and then Patrick who we're assuming at, at home, like had a, this idea of him needing to be perfect and it had his dad's voice playing in the back while the clock was, you know, striking the grandfather clock. Yeah. And also we can assume like abuse because Lucas said that Patrick came to practice with a black eye. So we have all these kids experiencing trauma and not being able to to talk to anyone about it or feeling like they can't. And it ultimately culminates to Max's episode, episode four. And what was it called? I think it was Billy's letter. I believe. Billy's letter. Yeah. Okay. Cause she writes all the letters. Yeah. I, I thought it- you said like dear Billy before. Oh, you're right. It is Dear Billy. Okay. It is Dear Billy. I was like, because I was like, that's so nice, but I never pay attention to yeah, the Dear Billy to the chapter really episodes. Yeah. So we have Max, and at the beginning of this episode, or maybe actually it was the one right before it, we find out that she is going to be cursed by Vecna, um, and she's in the counselor's office mm-hmm. with uh, some of some of her friends. I think it's like Steve, Dustin, Nancy at this point. Yeah, and Lucas um, comes running in later and scares right. everyone and when they're in the counselor's office they're looking at chrissy and fred's file because patrick hadn't been cursed at this point max finds okay everyone's having similar experiences like headaches nightmares basically not being able to talk to anyone yeah. about what they're going through so she has just accepted like okay i'm going to be taken by vecna um which was really sad and we had she was her coming to terms with it yeah, like she wrote all those letters yeah. to her friends and that was like just so devastating. I, I was distraught. Like I was crying. Yeah, I was like, we cannot lose Max. <laughs> and Lucas was like, I, you know, I don't need a letter. Like I don't want a letter. Just yeah. talk to me. Like where your friends were here, like I'm here. Um, and and then Max, right, goes to to read her letter to Billy at his grave. And that was really sad. She was, she said, you know, I feel like a part of me died that day too. mm and she like wishes that she would have done something um, when he sacrificed himself at the mall. And she said, you know, I thought that maybe we could try again. And I know that's stupid because we hated each other. But the idea that Max doesn't even have like this hope was yeah. so upsetting. Yeah. That she I was, was gonna, so sad. That she was going to die with this like unresolved trauma too. It was really, really sad. Right. Then ultimately she gets taken by Vecna, right? In that, that trance. Um, and she's in that world and she makes it to like Vecna's house, that red zone where all the, the people are in the trees. Yeah. Sort of like the first like Demogorgon web we saw in the, in the library. Mm-hmm. Right. And, um, and so she is there and he's kind of like, Max, like, I don't like, he didn't want her there. Right. Yeah. And she, why are you in my house? How did you get here? <laughs> Max, who gave you the Also, key? we don't know it's his house yet because I think Max draws a picture later on. Right. That's the next morning. Yeah. But we, we assume like even in that scene before we know that she's in his like lair. He was right? watching she, NFL Sunday. Yeah. He, he <laughs> she's like, not supposed hell? to be there. Um, and so then that's when Robin and, and Nancy find out like, okay, music is like the cure or at least a helpful thing to pull you out of Vecna's curse. And so they, they have that really like amazing moment of like scrambling to find Max's favorite song, which is running up that hill. 
Um, and the number one downloaded song in the world right now. Really? Yeah. <laughs> that's so funny. It's having a comeback. It played in the OC. Um, so that's how I knew it. Um, it ultimately, we think it's the music, but it's really her friends, right? The, the song like triggers memories of this like montage of her like shopping with Elle yeah. and her, her getting glue, asked, like you said earlier, yeah, yeah. like her a- being asked to go trick or treating with Lucas and Dustin. Um, and that was really just sweet. And, and then she, she got out of Vecna's curse. I was pissed. Cause I thought they were showing us the things to make everybody sob. And I was like, the saddest death possible. And even when she was like escaping and she was running toward the friends, her, her connection, the perspective that she was gaining while Vecna had her, her like wrapped up and she saw that her friends cared about her while she was floating in the sky. She was like, I need to go to them. They're my glue. And as she's running, the music's playing louder and louder and all of, all of the world is falling apart on her. I was like, she's not going to make it. <laughs> I was like, I know for sure she's not going to make it. And when she did, I was like, you duffer brothers. You duffer brothers. Um, that was actually really crazy too when she actually got like pulled up, you know, when she started floating and they yeah. saw it because I think at this point, Dustin and I guess everyone there, Steve, Dustin and Lucas didn't know what had happened. No, so when never she started floating, they mm-hmm. were like, Oh my God, like it's over. So then Max is safe, but still she's like in this like curse, like she could still could be taken. So there's this fear. So she has her music on all the time. Did you think that was weird a little bit? Because I, I thought from what I understand, not to try to find like the science of the trauma in Vecna, but if he is supposed to be personifying unresolved trauma, and she kind of come to ter- comes to terms with her grief a little bit and like what's happened in her like life when, when she falls yeah when she falls and she's written everybody letters and she falls into lucas's arms she's like like basically i have a reason to be alive still um and she's and Be- vecna can still i guess he never does get well, ultimately, her back yeah does she get you know put in the trance again no I she doesn't so. so maybe it was just like so maybe the music is just, just like a, a constant reminder that she's still struggling. Like she did, it wasn't just fixed, but yeah. she is continuously having to like, um, go through and think about things that can help her go through that. Yeah. But it doesn't positive, hurt just in case I'll just listen to music anyways. Yeah. Yeah. So Beckna doesn't get her. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, then later on Lucas and Max have another moment that kind of resolves their first conversation of like, oh, we're right here. Like talk to us. Oh yeah. And this is when Max is like, Oh, Vecna is, going after people for unresolved trauma. Um, and Lucas talks about Patrick and how he wished he would have seen like what Patrick was going through. And it was easy just to like, look past what, what Patrick, uh, when he showed up with a black eye at practice and he said, but you were right in front of me to Max and I missed it. And Max said, no, no, no. Like, it's not your fault. I disappeared. And Lucas said, no, like I didn't look hard enough. Yeah. Like I see you. Um, and I thought it was really like, just a great arc for Max and Lucas. It was also very educational for, I think, teenagers watching that. For kids, in yeah. In terms of like helping Or young adults, just people talking. maybe. Yeah, for sure. So I just, I mean, I think that we gave a lot of time to, to episode four, but I, I really loved episode four. I think a lot of people did too. But um, I well, think my favorite episode was still number one. Yeah. I just well, love, I think it. It I so love introduction to characters. It was so good. Yeah. I love introduction to characters. I love everybody's journey. And then by the end of it, it being horror, I didn't, and seeing the villain, that was basically Freddy Krueger yeah. on steroids. I was like, this is awesome. <laughs> when I saw his feet under the bathroom stall with Chrissy, I was like, I don't know if I'm going to like this because I just don't like monsters that much. And that's also why I wouldn't be 11 in the video game if I had to choose <laughs> because I just don't like fighting monsters. Yeah. Um, but he he turned out to be terrifying. Like yeah. the CGI was crazy. I don't know what was their like budget, but it a was lot. amazing. The visual effects were nuts. I'm pretty sure this had like the Batman budget. Yeah. It had like a $100 million budget. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> and then I guess we'll, we'll wait for 11 for a second, but let's, let's just talk about Will Byers. And his trauma? Yeah. I mean, maybe, okay, maybe we won't even talk about him, but like, I feel like I'm just always wondering how he's holding up. Like he's like the original trauma story of Stranger Things, like mm-hmm. as zombie boy, Trey and I lovingly <laughs> call Will from the upside down Bill Wires. Yeah, that's his, that's his second identity. Bill Wires. Still stuck upside in. Down what Will. is that little hut he used to have before it was oh, broken? Oh, yeah. Fort, Fort Byers. Fort Byers. That when, was cute. when that got smashed, I was, oh my God. Yeah. Yeah, devastated. In anyway. Rewatch, I kind of hated on uh, Will last episode, like last podcast we did, and we were going to explain why. But on Rewatch, I really do love Will's character. He's so sweet. I think I hated nice. on I his him. character as like this plot point that they kept using as a device to keep making seasons like i didn't like that he was still i understood the ptsd like in second in season, season where he was seeing the the fog thing yeah and i was like wait the demogorgon's b- back again but it, this time it's bigger and will, <laughs> will is not only sad this time it's he's, smoke <laughs> now will is more sad and i was like ah but like his character even with some writing issues like is really likable yeah so okay maybe we'll just bring him up to say that he is not being like used as the the story arc anymore to drive the plot which was smart. um but i'm still just i just want to shout out for the listeners because will's still going through it we also don't know how he's doing nobody talked to him yeah. nobody asked him any questions <laughs> he's if just you, painting if you told me he was the sixth sense ghost kid i'd be like yeah that makes sense i'm not sure i saw him and even talked to anybody <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so let's talk about Eleven real quick. Okay. Um, it, because she has her whole story arc in season four of her trauma and going through it. Like we open the whole season with her memory, what we think is her killing everyone and all the the children in Hawkins Laboratory in the Rainbow Room. And so we see her like going into that in her new laboratory. I don't know where it is. I think it's in Nevada somewhere. Yes. Right. Sure. Where Owens takes her. And then we have Dr. Um, Papa. Yeah. It starts with a B. What is it? Brenner. Brenner. Yes. Um, Crossword man. And we see her just like constantly re uh, living this memory. And we realize that she was bullied in that memory by the other numbers, the other number children, psychics. I meant to look back at this. I don't know if it's a weird note, but the numbers and the mm-hmm. adjectives or the words that he was spelling out, I was trying to match them up with the kids and the crossword puzzle. Yeah. I, I went back and looked Is there nothing at a there? close up and I didn't find anything there, but maybe I'm totally missing no, it. No, no, no. There's probably nothing there, but I just, I remembered after we watched, I was like, I want to go I back was, and watch I was that. reading like every word. And every I was like, small thing. And I was like, detail. Barry. Huh. Huh. Meta. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even, I don't even get it. <laughs> so deep so but we realized that she was bullied like in the rainbow room and that's why she like thinks she's a monster this whole season and she keeps talking about herself as a monster someone who's not accepted or doesn't belong and that's why it Mm -hmm. it hurts her even more even though we don't know it at this point that angela is bullying her in california angela in this show apparently is worse than vecna apparently from viewers you're talking about yeah like i think audiences dislike angela more than vecna you know what it did not make sense for the duffer brothers to write angela how they did like everyone else gets redemption it makes everyone no sense. else even like like steve or um just any other bully billy, billy. Yeah. yeah terrible like, we person see what happens. we figure out he's not actually terrible he had a rough life yeah yeah and we never get that for angela maybe in july but i still doubt it i just do because why would they go back to angela at this point it would so be pretty far cool gone. We, i mean they haven't shown us that they've never done that so they, i guess there's still a chance yeah not saying angela's a great person but just if you're gonna give attention to why people become 
cruel yeah. right maybe um, like, why not do that for angela too yeah like show like her parents maybe they suck i don't know yeah <laughs> and then it's so sad because you know 11 doesn't feel like she can tell mike what's going on yeah and that was a difficult because i was confused about whether she wasn't telling mike because she was embarrassed which didn't seem character wise there wasn't a lot of continuity for that idea but i thought there was more evidence for her looking at mike as her past self and then and not wanting to, and her basically failing to acknowledge that the the world she was in was different, and her wanting to act like she fitted, she fit in, and so basically by telling Mike that everything was okay, it was like her reassuring herself. It was like her lying to herself to make sure that everything was okay, so she could fit in and assimilate, um, even though she shouldn't have to force herself to do that, especially with people that are being terrible to her. Um, yeah. And so Mike became this weird vehicle for her to kind of force herself to assimilate in California interesting her letters to him at least yeah she was like, like kind of like creating a reality in those letters that wasn't actually happening to kind of uh, compartmentalize with the bullying that makes sense I, and i think we even get that as she goes further into her arc of exploring trauma of her not like cor- correctly like remembering um not to her fault but like remembering this really violent episode and yeah putting it on her like feeling oh, that responsible does yeah for her trauma yeah, and even later in the season, we deal with uh, the arguably Eleven Jane. I don't really know what to call her, but I'll just call her L for the probably remainder of the pod. I think the kids still call her L. Like uh, that's what Mike and Will still call her. Yeah, that sounds right. So L is probably dealing with the most trauma out of every character in Stranger Things, like times five. Like she is, she not only has to deal with this bullying, but also now she is being having to get retrained by Papa uh, Brenner her abuser her mental physical Mm -hmm. abuser and basically someone that's taken her away from real life and has kept her in captivity all of her life and having to reconcile with being retrained for her powers by her abuser in order to save her friends because she needs her powers to go back to hawkins and that is the most scary of all the stories and backgrounds of of, of every every character in stranger things yeah because not only that she's trapped there yeah and yeah and i almost feel like they don't talk about that enough in the show like every time i went back there i know she was like oh no papa but i wish there was i know there was nobody else to give us any exposition maybe it should have been owens or something but someone that would explain wow this must be so difficult for her to see papa but instead it felt like they were rewriting the history a little bit if that makes sense like they were like papa wasn't that bad maybe he was justified in what he was doing and was like i think he was pretty bad yeah, I didn't know if they were trying to tell us like Dr. Brenner has grown from this point or or something like that because he has this moment with Elle where we get this theme of not only the trauma that she's going through, but calling herself either a monster or a superhero, like oh, dealing yes. within these binaries. And he says... Uh, as she's trying to remember this this memory in the rainbow room that it's rarely so simple in mm-hmm. real life. Like that stuff of myths and fairy tales. Evil monsters and Superheroes. Yeah, exactly. Right. And he says like, we have to kind of just go through our own experiences and to gain strength so that we can become whole. And so it feels like that was like a, a tender moment, but you can't forget like all of the just met like he literally kidnapped these children and they're all in a lab and he even though he care might care about them it's still so messed up so like there's this weird tension and i and i think ultimately she doesn't trust him, i think they're definitely see. yeah they're subverting us with 11 they, she mm-hmm. definitely we're supposed to think that she doesn't trust he, him. she will she, kill she's him. gonna kill him yeah yeah, yeah. in That's july 100 the, the second <laughs> episodes yeah 100 <laughs> that is happening i think literally episode eight is called papa 
Is it really? Yeah, I think so. Oh, did you look at the yeah, next two let episodes? Let me look their, really quickly. But their I'm, titles. I'm pretty sure here. It is called episode eight is Papa. 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 Oh my God. Episode nine is the piggyback. Huh. Interesting. Episode eight is Papa. Interesting. So spoiler um, alert, Papa, not going to make it. <laughs> yeah, probably. So the the only other thing though, I love the MonsterVerse superhero. And, and I think that I was sad that Eleven felt like she had to like have her powers back because of the conversation she had with Mike, even though Mike didn't necessarily maybe mean this, but he was like, you're a superhero. Like everyone else are nobody is who's like bullying you. Mm-hmm. And she felt like her worth was then in her powers. Um, so that was kind of like a sad arc. And I think maybe in the last two episodes, we'll also see that resolved where Mike is like, you don't even need to have your superpowers. That would be nice. Cause yeah. it, I feel like they are going to do that. I feel like we keep getting like these softballs to be like angry and triggered a little bit about some of this writing about between Mike and Mike. Papa. Yeah. But ultimately I think 11 is definitely going to have her like independent moment and tell both of them like who she is Yeah, in different ways. Yeah. Yeah. And then the only other thing you brought this up and I didn't even notice, but the kind of inconsistencies of Elle's memories, she like knew how to talk while she was in the rainbow room. And I remember when, when she, she was CGI Elle. Yeah, yeah. When she was going back to her memories and maybe I actually just thought of this in the moment, but maybe that's because she's remembering and she's thinking about what she would say now that she has language because she remember she's remembering. Well, that would be this. a lot of rewriting though because, <laughs> because number one, the guy, Peter, I think his name is, but the, the guy who's talking to her Number or working one. with her. Yeah, I think his name is Peter though. Okay. Uh he kept saying like he kept ta- he kept responding to her like as if she was asking him questions. So I feel like she had to have been asking him questions because the way he was responding. Unless she also was kind of seeing that in a different way. It's just so weird because when she actually broke out of Hawkins in season one, the only words she knew were like friends. Exactly. Promise. Yeah. Mouth breather. <laughs> so yeah, I was like, wait, why can't she talk anymore? So yeah, yeah th- I feel like they're definitely doing some rewrites there, which whatever. Yeah. I, I don't all really good. Care. And also there was some, you know, gripes about the, the CGI with 11. I thought it was fine. I thought it was actually cute. Yeah, like I was like, like this is the most adorable 11. little baby 11. Yeah. Like I can't wait to see this. I felt like, so bad. What are the Funko? things oh the little pop yeah little pop toys it was like a baby <laughs> pop 11 would be so cute on a keychain or something <laughs> uh. um but yeah so okay let's go into our last theme which is not this like monsters versus superhero binary that all the characters have been talking about all season but the idea that it's not just that simple we don't just have monsters and superheroes regular people like our our friend friend group the glue uh, can make a difference and so basically we have this like scooby-doo scooby gang of max dustin lucas nancy steve robin Eddie now, right? Erica also now in in episode seven. The whole crew. But that they can make a difference, right? They can solve the mystery without Eleven. And they're realizing and proving to themselves that they can do that, even though they keep talking about Eleven. Like, oh yeah, we have this friend who has superheroes and, you know, it was easy when we had her. (laughs) But they can go to the family video and look up Reefer Rick's (laughs) database. That was so awesome. (laughs) So what were, what were your favorite moments of the Scooby gang realizing that they could crack this mystery? I love the family video store. Yeah. Blockbuster. Uh, the OG letterbox, if you will. And for all those letterbox <laughs> people out there, uh, follow, follow us, Extra Credits Podcast. We'll put it in the description. Um, letterbox, if you don't know, is basically Twitter for film heads. And I thought it was really funny to see these film lovers and the Duffer Brothers, uh, film connoisseurs, 
make this <laughs> this blockbuster ran by Steve and Robin, and then they use everybody's movies against them to find them, <laughs> which I thought was funny. Like they're gonna find yeah, like what is Reefer Rick watching or rent? Yeah, which I guess he I think he rented Cheech and Chong, and then he also Fast rented like Fast Times, Ridgemont High. Yeah. yeah, so that was really cool. I love that. But who who's to say that he isn't watching Sixteen Candles? Okay. Yeah, why can't he have different <laughs> interests? Um, I, I loved that scene too at the family video, the 12 Ricks and Hawkins. Um, I was like, how many, I wonder how many Ricks live in our area. I feel like Rick is not a, a common name. Yeah. But 12, <laughs> 12 I don't yeah. know. Um, I also really liked the, the car scene when they showed up to get Nancy and when she like thought that Fred had died or disappeared and and she was like oh my friends are here which was even more sad because she basically was realizing that this was like an underworld issue an upside down issue right it was even worse than what she had thought yeah yeah and i liked when robin and nancy nancy drew teamed up together and went to the library and saw like the it newspaper clippings yes um that was really cool and then went to the asylum to talk to victor creel and they found out that music was this temporary cure or at least something that would allow you to get out of Vecna's curse to to trigger like connection that you have in the world. Yeah, very disturbing. Played by Robert England, who famously played Freddy Krueger. A little bit confusing why he took out his eyes. Um, not sure if that's just because he was going through his own trauma of seeing I his daughter and his wife like that. He said that he wanted to like join his family. That's okay. what the his reasoning. I, I guess that, that makes sense. Yeah from that perspective Uh, but that was a little terrifying and really sad and they saw that the music thing like you're saying so yeah that was really cool too they had a lot of small moments between a few different characters of having this scooby gang realization that they can do things just like superheroes can but i think most of all it was in the it house the yeah. Creel house. I loved when they, they showed up right in front of the Creel house and it I was like, Oh, this is it. Yeah. Like, and they threw the rock crazy. through the window too. Which there was... was even a moment where someone went, Oh yeah. There was even a moment where someone went into a room and there were two doors and I was like, Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> a clown is in the corner. Yeah. But before that, even like, I love that Nancy put together that max drawing on the, the table on Mike Wheeler's table. I'm calling BS. There's no way. There's one thing of being a good what, detective. That max is a good artist or that Nancy would put together the house. I'm not going to speak about Max's Max's artistic abilities, but Nancy, good detective, that was the craziest puzzle I've ever seen. Yeah, but she had already she knew the house. Like she knew that the Victor Creel house before she went to the asylum was something that they should be looking at. Like that was the house where they thought that Vecna first took the family, like that it was cursed. Gotcha. So she kind of already had it in her her subconscious. Well, those abilities did not pass on to Mike because my guy can't tell. From anything. <laughs> it's too bad. Yeah, but I, I loved the It House and like when they were going around with their flashlights and I hate it when they split it up though because I was like, why are you doing that? You're in this mansion, this like haunted mansion. Please don't do that. There's also like 1,200 square feet. Like I don't know how they were splitting it up. <laughs> Wait, what do you mean? I thought it was like a huge house. Is it huge? Okay. Yeah, right. I don't like know. For, mansion. for some reason I saw it, I was like, it's not that big. Um, But yeah, so I think, I think we can probably move on to episode seven though because this is where it really go. all goes down. Like this is the upside down versus Hawkins, like huge Goonie vibes and that we're still in the it house and this is when they kind of like find out that the the lights work like so we've always known that the lights in hawkins light up when people are traveling through the upside down in that same area so yeah. like when uh hopper and joyce were traveling through the buyer's house nancy and jonathan and steve could see them in season one uh, when the lights flickered yeah. But we've never seen how that works 
on the up the side of upside down. So they found this like glowing light right in the in the it house in the upside down, and they were able to contact Dustin and Lucas through that. And it was so Goonies vibe. I loved it. It was weird to see that visualized because I I just I guess I struggled visualizing it. I mean, um, the way that you could use light in the upside down to do that when Will used it to talk to his mom in the first season. I was surprised Mm -hmm. that it looked like that. It was a little bit confusing because they kept shooting it as if like the people in the upside down could see what was happening in the real world. Well, they could just hear it. Yeah, they could hear it, but just the way they shot it. I was like, it was a little bit confused, but I mean, that was just me. I was losing. I was getting a little tired (laughs) by episode seven. (laughs) Let's let's talk about Steve, though. I think Steve as a character was robbed. Like, I really think up until episode seven, they were basically treating him terribly. And I don't know why, except for the fact that I think we both agree that he's going to die this season. Or at least they were trying to make us think he was going to die in these last couple episodes. No, I think he's going to die. No. <laughs> I think I think it's going to happen. He is putting himself out there for people. Uh, he's doing that pretty consistently. Like he fought the Demogorgon, Demogorgon in season one. Mm-hmm. In season two, he saved the kids by fighting Billy because Billy was going to kill one of the kids, I think. Like he said he was going to oh, do that. Oh, yeah. I forgot I think about that. That was, was a Lucas. brutal fight. Like, Billy was kind of racist, I think. And he was like going to beat up Lucas and... and uh, Steve got in the middle of them and basically got his ass beat by Billy. Mm-hmm. And then season three, I'm sure there's something that happened in the mall. Oh yeah. He went to go help the kids by going to invade the Russians and the Russians beat him up and tried to like get him to tell them about something about how they got I in forgot there. about that too. Oh my and, God. <laughs> and then in season four, Dustin's treating him like he's a child <laughs> Yeah, and it's ridiculous. And then, and now I'm going into episode seven. They're saying the kids are in danger and Hawkins is in danger and they have to find this opening uh, portal to get into the upside down. They, they said it's in this uh, lover's lake. And he's like, all right, well, I was on the swim team. I guess I'll do this. And he takes off his shirt. Max takes a long look at him through the binoculars, <laughs> uh, as we all did on our screen. And then he dives into the water and he goes through the portal and it starts getting eaten by bats. And episode six ends and episode seven starts that way. And I was pissed off. Yeah, I think like Dustin's attitude towards Steve, I was definitely not okay with Um, just not being appreciative of having Steve as like a a mentor, always the babysitter. (laughs) I love when Steve says that. He has some great one-liners. Yeah. Um, and he also like Steve, you know, was there for Max at the grave. Like he was kind of like, let's go, like, let's get Max, um, kind of like moving things along to save her. Yeah. And he's been the cool uncle for like three seasons. Yeah. And I, and I think like him jumping into lover's lake, um, and then being eaten by the bats. I have something in my notes, gripe about Steve and bats. I I hated (laughs) that scene where he was getting eaten because I, I think like you said, like I wanted to see him, if, if he's going to go out, okay, not out die respect. from a bat uh, infection, but go right. out saving people like he has been doing throughout all of Stranger Things. It felt very like very much like Glenn in The Walking Dead. Sorry, spoiler alert. But I just really hated how Glenn went out. Um, and I thought when season, episode six was ending, I was like, if this is how Steve goes out. I'll never forgive Stranger Things. <laughs> and I think there's people who would join me in this hashtag about, about Steve Harrington. Duffer Brothers, if you're listening. <laughs> how dare you? Uh, but he doesn't die. He ends up getting saved by his friends and Nancy Wheeler with some corny lines that felt like very much the, like the 80s. Like, what'd she say? <laughs> Hello there. Oh, yeah. She was like, hey there. Yeah. I was like, wait, what? I was like, okay. <laughs> uh, and then and he ter- Steve separates that bat. In like, half. That was crazy. That yeah. was a really cool scene. I will say that whole first five minutes was very dark. 
and I struggled seeing what was on the screen. Yeah, I don't know. That I was, was like, a weird how visual. much of his stomach is gone? I couldn't see. Yeah, I think that was definitely purposeful because we had the brightness all the way up. Okay. We literally turned the settings, the brightness all the way up because we were like, <laughs> I can't see what's on his stomach. Um, and I guess they were kind of alluding to the infection spreading by her wrapping him up. Yeah. So I got really worried. I guess I'm still worried, but then they totally subvert us not to step on the toes of episode seven by saying, No, uh, we are in episode seven, right? I know, but the end of it, that oh, okay. Nancy is actually the one who looks like he's going to get killed. Going yeah. Into yeah. The next no, episode. I think we can go into that right now because basically they find the gates at all the crime scenes. Or, Which is really cool. Yeah. That was awesome. Mm-hmm. And we had this really cool Goonies moment of like throwing up the sheet, mm-hmm. right? Like through the upside down and the Hawkins right side up. <laughs> and they're like climbing to. <laughs> To, to you know just go, go to, to the other side Hawkins. yeah i was trying However to think gravity how to explain works. it yeah and um which was a cool like rope climbing scene because i feel like that's like a funny like old gym class trope that we see yeah. um but then they fall in like you know eddie's bed in, in his home on the other side and nancy right he doesn't know what those stains are by the way yeah <laughs> he's like those I, I those are mine <laughs> and he uh, or sorry nancy climbs the rope and i think she's gonna be fine like i didn't even expect anything uh or any any moment of her in danger they totally got me yeah and she's falling and hits the pool yeah that's where she sees barb yeah which was a gross scene and it was like nancy i mean Um, she i think it's kind of meta too because duffers have gotten so much shit for barb and not no justice for barb (laughs) they're like here (laughs) and it's like yeah but it is actually really cool that they did that because they're like yeah no nancy does need to deal with like not like this kind of reconciliation with like not being a better friend to barb which you know i don't think it's fair to blame her like a lot of people did in season two which seems really crazy and almost like yeah and almost like memed basically yeah. it wasn't really a serious thing after a while but it is kind of funny that they're doing this now uh not funny if she dies because that would be actually really tragic yeah. if she dies like this i don't think they will just because i don't think they're gonna touch mike or nancy i don't think they'll touch the wheelers because they're such like cores of the story as far as like connecting all these different character lines i have a theory when we do exp- when we do some predictions oh wow yeah i, okay. I have a pretty cool theory actually. okay so let's finish up like episode seven and what happened because i thought this was really cool i know trey you like understood earlier on that number one in l's in l's memory or mm-hmm. I, I don't know what his name was peter peter okay yeah in the rainbow room was guy also from twilight the little yes guy from twilight and also grindelwald in um oh yeah in the harry potter flashback but that he jamie was also pa- jamie campbell bauer yes yeah was also the little boy from the it house or the amityville horror house mm-hmm. that we have been seeing as a flashback and so we get these two storylines right nancy falls in the pool and vecna is talking to her and nancy's following the little boy around the house like looking at all the moments like the grandfather i forgot clock. that's how we even found out yeah through nancy meanwhile while l finds out that actually she did not kill everyone in the rainbow room right she got tricked by number one or peter and he actually killed all the kids and and everyone who worked at hawkins lab yeah um and and so he's telling l what happened while we're following his previous self <laughs> or whatever when he was younger mm-hmm. as a creel in that house and and killing his whole family which was awful i'm really glad they didn't show the sister because it was already tough enough to see the mom yeah and uh, so when did you figure out that number one was also spider boy was also vecna as soon as they showed us the creole family walk in the house i knew the little boy was um 
was going to be one of the villains. And I couldn't tell if the villain was Peter or I couldn't tell if the villain was Vecna. And I thought mm. they were kind of separate at that time. Yeah. So I knew that Peter was bad because of the way that he was talking to Eleven. He has a very big David vibe from Prometheus. 100%. Just Android vibe. Yeah. Android vibe. Uh, but it was really just because I knew he was lying to her about the friends like beating her up because Papa and stuff. And I thought that was just, really it was just obviously he was like manipulating her. Yeah. That was pretty clear. And like leading her down in the dungeon and taking the thing out of his neck. Like that just seemed like a ploy to be able to use his powers. So I knew that the little boy was one of the two. I didn't know if he was Vecna and, or, or Peter. So then I thought he was Vecna because the family died. That the little boy was Vecna or that Peter Sorry, was Vecna? I knew the little boy was Vecna when they showed the mom get killed. Okay. Because oh. the sister was killed and only the little boy lived. And Robert oh. England, and when he was telling Nancy and Robin about this, he said he fell into a coma and died. And I was like, that's weird. Okay, so he's... Questionable. He's obviously Vecna then, because he has the powers, and he's doing this and getting people's nightmares. Or like he's like getting in their heads and, and crumbling their bodies like that. And then I connected that he was Peter when Peter was bad. So... Gotcha. And you also said, I think, right when we were watching the It House episode, you saw like the spiders... Yeah, so I saw the jar with the spiders that Steve found, and that was definitely a clue from the creators. And I already kind of figured the boy was like a little weird looking. So I was like, I wonder if he was just like collecting animals. And then they showed like animals were died animals, around the yeah. house. And I was like, okay, so maybe he's torturing spiders. Although we do end up realizing that he actually loves spiders because they're like these super predators. So yeah, I, there were enough clues to pick up that mystery. But the way that they did it at the end was, it was so cool. I, I didn't matter that like people would figure that mystery out. It was just really awesome the way they gave a characterization of this villain from when he was a child to now this like demon yeah I I loved it I was really surprised like I the boy little boy as they were showing him like seemed like kind of quiet but I just didn't think anything of it I definitely suspected Peter or number one in Elle's memory as being manipulative like I was like I don't know about this guy yeah. but I did not connect that so when we found out that number one was also Spider Boy, was also Vecna. Spider I was Man. shocked. Evil Spider Man. And we had this like speech at the end of, of episode seven where he's talking to Elle in the memory. And he actually wants Elle to join him because she's so powerful and he like recognizes that. Mm -hmm. And he talks about how Brenner is afraid of her, right? And will ultimately try to use her. And we have a lot of Voldemort, like wanting to become immortal themes, right? He talks about... Uh, Even looks like him a little bit. Yeah. So, it, well, he has no nose. Oh, yeah. yeah that's what it is. So he, he talks about like how he wants to become a predator like the spiders. Like he admires them. Um, and he says that basically people are like pests and that they're trapped in their rules. That was really cool. They were kind of touching on Eddie's thing with constructs too. Because he starts talking about how time's a construct, going to work is a construct. I well, yeah, he says people are trapped in their rules. Uh, where others saw order, I saw a straitjacket. People performing in a terrible play day after day, each life a faded copy of the one before. Very Voldemort vibes. Um, and I was like, okay, he wants to become immortal, Vecna. And then he <laughs> says... He wants to restore balance and use his powers to restore balance to a broken world as a predator, like a spider. Um, and that he showed his parents who they really were. He held up a mirror. And at that point, I was like, Magneto, <laughs> like Magneto vibes. And he talks about how they want to control us. And to, to them, you're nothing more than a monster. And we see Eleven just totally say no right no she's like, and nah, she, I'm good. she uh, you can't see me I did the um <laughs> I'm doing the I 11. can see it. it looks great 
Doing great, honey. The 11 power power thing. <laughs> and then we see number one do the, the power thing with their hands. And we have yeah. a Harry Potter moment where their spells basically, right? Like Voldemort and Harry's spells would be locked. Yeah. And they're struggling against each other where they're just using their minds to, to fight against each other. And 11 being so powerful pushes Peter or number one into the upside down. Wild. Yeah. It was so good. It was also kind of reminiscent of Anakin turning into Darth Vader a little bit. Oh yeah. Because of the lava as yeah. he's falling through the upside down. Yeah. Yeah. Mustafar. Um, what do we think about the fact that 11 kills another person with powers like her number one or kind of mm-hmm. kills him sort of, and he turns into this being in the upside down. Does that mean if all these characters who have powers, 11 and her other numbers, <laughs> If they kill each other, are they all going to go into the upside down? Because she didn't put him in the upside down. She just basically no, tried. No, she did. She, she, uh, when she created the upside down, she not only what we thought killed him, but she uh, created the upside down through his chest. Like as she was using his powers, his chest started like um, opening and it looked like it was singed I know, all but around. What are, but what are we supposed to think burned. about that? that and like, then he went into the upside down. He like fell in. I know. What are we supposed to think about that though? Like every time one of them kills each other, it creates another hole into the upside down. Like, this, oh, like, I see. Because hole between universes or something. Like, okay, I don't. Does that, that make that sense? That is an interesting question. I don't necessarily. Think I know. I don't so. think we're supposed to be asking that question. But like, he, if Elle died, would she create a, a yes. whole new dimension yeah. just because she's so powerful? Would there be another upside down? In something in time and space? Yeah. I don't know. That's a great question. They're, they're basically walking black holes. Yeah, it's pretty cool. But I mean, I loved that. I was somebody like, somewhere so is like, shocked. that's not how black holes work. <laughs> it's like, all right, calm down. <laughs> um, but I was so shocked, and I I loved I was, that he was Vecna, and I and you can totally see it. They picked great actors from the little boy Spotter Boy mm-hmm. to number one Peter, and then Vecna. Like they all really looked alike and and had the same like face structure. A plus casting. Yeah. But also just kind of like a quiet, terrifying vibe, and and Vecna is certainly terrifying and and even more terrifying now knowing that he's he's one do you think that he wanted 11 on his team because she was powerful or because he thought she was easy to manipulate like papa did i think he thought she was was powerful, powerful. but obviously not as powerful where he thought he because could she didn't show her. any signs of power though i think though he can read like minds almost oh that's like his power like his special or just talent he, he like knows that she was powerful do i you, thought do you think maybe. he sent those kids in there to kill her because i that's Oh, because I, I was questions. reading it as like he was trying to manipulate her. He was trying to get her at a really low point and then trying to get him, her to help him break out of there. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, she needed him to not believe in Papa and that it was a prison, which he was right. I mean, um, that it is a prison, but she needed him to she needed her to trust him. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. He just seemed very manipulative. And I, and I, I love the Voldemort comp because that's who he reminds He reminds me of Tom Riddle. Yeah. So yeah, that's great. And, and very Magneto vibes. Like they want to use our X-Men. I don't do that to Magneto though. Yeah, I heard he, you say that, but like. Yeah. Cause he said they want to use us. Like they want to use our abilities. I, I get the manipulation part, but uh, Michael Fassbender, Magneto, he's one of the best anti-heroes in, in I mean, comic I love, history. I love Magneto. I'm just yeah. saying there are vibes. This guy's there. pure they evil. They want to control our abilities. And, <laughs> no, and, yeah, it and, is. And say that we're different. No, you're right. That is like line for line, Magneto. Yeah. Okay, what else do we have? <laughs> Episode okay. seven. So um, let's go ahead and just quickly talk about anything that we really loved that we didn't cover or anything we didn't love <laughs> that we that we didn't cover. For me, that is Susie's house. 
Oh my God. So cool. <laughs> the cheaper by the dozen captain. Fantastic. We're going into a stranger things, Wes Anderson movie with all these kids. Um, there was like Cornelius where they, they first walk in the house. This is when Mike will, um, Jonathan and Argyle are going to look for Susie to help them contact 11, um, because they have this phone number that only reaches a computer and they need Susie's expertise. And they enter this house and there's this little kid who has this like arrow and is shutting off the power. And then we have these other kids, one with like a drawn on mustache <laughs> filming. Ta that was really Wes Anderson. What Anderson's was the kid's name? It started with a T, Teresa, Tabitha. I don't know. And he was like, keep going. <laughs> remember, like the dad, remember when the dad thought the kid was like dying? One of the kids is oh, dying. Yeah. He's like, dad, you're doing so well. Your performance was so genuine. Um, and then I love when they go in the, in the actual kitchen and the kids are cooking and someone adds a bunch of salt and they're like, father's kidneys. <laughs> so <laughs> funny. And I loved that scene. It was so fun. That was really cool. I also like the fact that Susie uh, was not just a not just a genius, but also like hilarious. Like, I think that that was funny that she like got a, a little bit of more character building in this episode. I didn't expect oh, that. She was like being sarcastic to Mike and stuff. Yeah, I just, I didn't really understand the whole like, let's build Susie's character. She's Dustin's like girlfriend that lives far away. But they actually ended up bringing her into the fold in a way that I thought was like genuine again, much like other characters like Eddie and Robin. So that was cool. I feel like we just got another another element to the group. Yeah. Something also we didn't talk about literally at all uh, was Hopper, Joyce, and Murray's uh, plot. We didn't talk about Hopper at all. Are you saying we love this? Is no, this I'm saying I, I, well, I'm, it's kind of a both. It goes in both categories. I love Hopper and I'm willing to see him on screen whenever. I just liked spending time with him, but I ultimately felt like the Joyce Murray going to get Hopper was just a way that basically the kids could be alone to, to figure out the mystery yeah. and not have adults interfere. So ultimately like it wasn't a huge thing that I, I loved, but also I thought it was a lot of fun. Like there was, there was never a time when they were on screen where I was like, get, get this storyline out of here. That I was, was still having fun. Helped a lot by the actors. Like these are top tier television actors at this point, like, or just actors in general. Like they just were so great, especially Murray and the guy, the guy who plays Murray, which I'll look in a second, but he has a black belt. All three of them did so well. Um, I really, I agree. I think the part where I checked out the most was the plot line of Hopper, not just because it was kind of boring in certain points, uh, but also because the, the exposition sort of that he was giving to why he was there to the audience, if they didn't watch the past season and his relationship to L and talking to his, his Russian friend, I guess now mm -hmm. uh, in jail and like explaining his relationship to L and his past daughter and like how he's trying to be, become a better person or whatever. And the guy was like, you almost sound religious. And he's like, I guess I do need to pray more. And it was like, didn't we already do this? Like, didn't you already explain your past and your relationship to L and your past family? And like, I just thought that was kind of weird for them to do that. Like six episodes into the fourth season of Stranger Things. Like, if you didn't know all that, like, I don't know why you're watching at that point. <laughs> so that was odd. I also thought Joyce's character didn't really get much to do. Um, but I do think this was like Murray's time to shine. Like he, he kind of killed every scene yeah, he was in. It was really fun. And then I think also like the part I also did not love about that was Hopper's flashback, uh, or the flashback of Hopper's death. Uh, he just like jumped over the stairwell when Let's a, talk a about bomb this. went off. I read it as if he jumped into the upside down. I thought he, I originally thought that's what happened, but that's not possible because then he would be in the upside down. Right. Yeah, but is it possible he could jump into 
like a portal and then come out another side somewhere else? Is that not how the I just think down we works? would have seen that if that were part of the the storyline. Yeah, if that's truly, I mean, what happens when it blows up? Does Joyce just go running and leaves? I thought that she, I thought that she went down to see if he was okay. No, I don't think so. I think it was blowing up and she like dipped. Hmm. And okay. I think the Russian people came in after. I do think yes, it's just bad. So we're supposed to be led to believe, I think, that they had two different scripts where Hopper was alive and one where Hopper wasn't. And they were like, let's just combine them both. Why do you think they kept him alive just because he to was have such him, a fan? To have him die. I think they kept him he's alive. He's going to die again? I think, think he's going to die again. Okay. Yeah. Wow. I, I think they have, have him live. That's tough. He's gone through a lot. He literally, <laughs> he literally says, like, I have a reason to be here, which is to help, help Eleven. Like, I have to help Jane, L. But it's weird because I feel like L has already processed or is processing. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. It feels very untrue to life. <laughs> what's about to happen, which is this kind of rebirth of Hopper. Uh, I think he's going to die. Yeah. But w- when Elle like is going through this, uh, kind of going back in her memories and, and going through her experiences, it also feels like she is going through the kind of death of her father, right? Like going through grief. Yeah. So it feels weird because what's going to happen when she sees Hopper, we're just going to be like, Oh, like thankfully they're reunited. I mean, yes, sure. Like maybe I'll cry. Okay. But also it just feels like Eleven's already kind of like going through this in a healthy or discovering possibly a healthy way. So Eleven just got back her powers. She's about to go to Hawkins and she has no incentive besides helping her friends to take down Vecna. So she needs some kind of reason to do that. That The audience needs to buy in. So they're going to try to get Eleven to be pissed off season one, end of season one, Eleven, where she's like, ah, and screaming and like killing (laughs) Demogorgons. Like, they're going to need her back to that stage or when she's got her like emo hair going and she's like pushing the hole back together and mm-hmm. end of season three or two or whatever. So they need her in that place. And I think the only way to do it is to kill one of the main characters. And I think because the easiest death to kill someone who's already basically dead, which is Hopper. So I'm assuming that's what they're going to do. Is that bad? Lazy writing? Of course. Um, it also okay. gave them an excuse to have a dope plane crash so i guess that's cool <laughs> and disgusting like foot injuries i couldn't even look at hoppers that, that was also as wild cool. um okay let's go into our predictions for season four volume can i talk two. about one more thing that i uh did like sure yeah i really like the shootout scene in the house at the oh, wheeler house okay yeah in california I that was a really cool sean levy did a really good job directing that and i also liked uh jonathan's friend Oh, Argyle, yeah. Argyle. Like, yes. I was a, a little addition. worried he was going to take me out of it. Um, Eduardo Franco from Booksmart, but he was hilarious. Like everything he did like was just so funny. Yeah. Um, it, especially like that, that dinner scene like we talked about. So and, he was great. And the call to get the pizza. He's like talking about pineapple. I, I, did not, I could not feel more seen <laughs> by that scene. He was like explaining that it was like a taste. And if you don't like pineapple on pizza, you don't have taste. Did I read it as Do that? Do not yes. deny before you try. <laughs> um, yeah. So, and I think also one of my things I didn't love was Jonathan, Mike and Will not getting a lot of screen time, which I think going into my predictions for season four, volume two, mm-hmm. we will get more of them. I would hope so. It doesn't make I any sense. So. It doesn't make any sense to not have Will, Mike or Jonathan. They're, they're like three of the main characters from the first two or three seasons. Like it's weird to make them like murray got more screen time than all of them that's so weird yeah it doesn't make any sense it, the last two episodes in total are like four hours i think yeah so two it's basically hours. half a season yeah so they could get a lot of screen time yeah that's a good call true and also like what's gonna happen when nancy and jonathan see each other I, I, that's all weird okay so what are your predictions for volume two when the two episodes we're gonna get in july my predictions are that i think steve is gonna go try 
to rescue Nancy in the Upside Down. Okay. So we're directly oh, leaving. Oh, yeah, because he's the only one left. He's the only one down there. And I think they're going to be like, Steve, what happened? And he's like, I, like, I got to go find where Nancy is in the Upside Down. Because I'm assuming he's going to be able to find her. Or is Vecna in her dreams? Or is there is there like a dream, like a physical dream world within hmm. the Upside Down? Does yeah, that make sense? Yeah, when, because when they curse Max or the other kids when they're in Hawkins... He is putting them in a trance where they are entering the upside down through their consciousness. Right. But Nancy's like literally in, oh wait, maybe she fell well, in no. Hawkins and then is in the upside down in a trance no, or I, no, no, no. She I, fell. I'm figuring this out as we're talking. What Steve's going to do, I think, is he's going to go to where Vecna is. He's, remember they show Steve see the house on the way, on the way to the portal. Oh, he's yeah, on when the they're bike. riding their bikes. And it only shows Steve look over to the house and he notices that that's Vecna's house, the house they were just in. And I think he's going to go back. He's going to see him plugged in and he's going to try to do something. And the wow. re- the, one of the reasons I thought this was because when he came into the un- upside down, he took off his shirt and he was all bloodied and then he got bandaged up. I was like, that's John McClane. That's John McClane. That's Die Hard. Like <laughs> Die Hard when he has his shirt off and he's rescuing his wife in the, uh-huh. in the Yakutomi building. Okay. So he's going to go to the attic and, and die- probably die. I'm pretty sure Die Hard came out in like 86 or 87 and they're 1986 or 1987 at this point so 86 baby that's what uh, eddie says yeah so <laughs> this is his year <laughs> i don't know it's all it's all lining up it feels like a diehard moment i kept seeing bruce willis with him with the shirt off i was like this is cool like, but you do think like when he goes to the attic that vecna is going to kill him probably right and then the kids will go back or do you think he'll die in front of everyone and in front of people okay i don't so, think they're gonna have him so die we'll by themselves yeah so they, they might all come i think 11 might arrive at the same time but i definitely think he's gonna go back and try to save nancy through getting vecna outside of his trance because vecna is all tied into the world because he gets like plugged in like he's in the matrix mm-hmm. in the attic of the house and i think he can just go up there right hmm. like in the physical in the upside down wouldn't yeah. he be able to do that no, no yeah he can he so can. that's i think that's my main prediction is that we're gonna see steve try to rescue nancy and potentially get bodied in front of everybody I love that. Um, there is some, definitely someone dying. I'm going to take the safe prediction <laughs> of like someone's going to die. I thought at, like it was going to be 11, but because we've only seen her have one storyline where she's alone, I just can't see that happening because she hasn't had enough kind of like connection with other characters for it to hit as hard with the other characters if she dies. Yeah. So I think it's going to be someone who we've been spending a lot of time with in the first uh you know seven episodes here in season four i don't think it's going to be mike or will because we just haven't had enough connection with them yeah that'd be messed up so someone's at risk in hawkins Arg- argyle <laughs> my guy's going he's gonna be like what is happening um okay so that's that's it okay. <laughs> is that ex- until july <laughs> guys i gotta say that was a lot like this was like a 10 hour show that we watched in 24 hours and I was like, I was not getting like cranky, but by like episode six, I was kind of like, all right, guys, what is this? I mean, episode six was the worst, I think. But like, I was like, we got to get going here. Uh, but that was a great experience all in all. I mean, hopefully everybody liked this reaction. We tried our best to review this as thoroughly, thoroughly as we could. Yeah, I think episode, it was either episode five or six where it was a lot of like plot um, it was driven six. and it was a lot of Hopper storyline where it kind of fell off. But other than that, like... I really loved every episode. Um, I loved that each episode was scary in its own right. And I loved this idea of them solving a mystery. Even though they've done that in other seasons, it felt more like they had to do it on their own with clues um, rather than Eleven solving things for them. And also, can we just say that writing a villain with a purpose is incredibly difficult? So snaps for Stranger Things because Marvel's never been able to do it outside of like Thanos or like Loki. And they've had like 20 
eight movies. And so the fact that Stranger Things was able to do this in, in season four uh, is pretty awesome. Okay, my last thing before we jump out of here, bring Stranger Things season five to theaters. Netflix, your stock is down like a lot, <laughs> like down like 70% since the start of the year. Not that I'm checking for my retirement, but Netflix, you got to get it together. And the way you do that is you sell and market Stranger Things season five to go to theaters. Give me one episode a week in theaters. That would be so sick at like local big theaters and drop them on Netflix right afterwards. So people will be able to see them in theaters and then they can go see them on Netflix. That'd be so cool. Maybe at like yeah. a discounted admissions I would go see too. That. Like if these are very cinematic, like you're saying, every episode was good. So I feel like that'd be so cool. And if you're not going to do that, can you stop putting them on binge on this like binge thing where I have to like watch them in 24 hours? <laughs> Just don't do that anymore. I get cranky by the end. All right. <laughs> I don't get cranky, but I would see them in theaters. So I'm, oh, I'm on board with that. I love how I'm talking to this mic as if Netflix is listening to me. <laughs> But it would just be cool to see it in theaters. I'd pay 10 bucks to go see it. So something to think about, listeners. Awesome. Okay. Well, this has been the Extra Credits Podcast for Stranger Things, Season 4, Volume 1. Thanks for listening, everyone. And remember to please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or to rate us a five-star, please, on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you Google, get your podcasts. all of them. Wherever, whatever podcast platform you prefer. And yeah, just let us know uh, what your thoughts about Stranger Things were. Uh, you can DM us, find us on Instagram, look in our description on Spotify or wherever you're listening to see how to contact us. We appreciate all and any feedback and thank you so much for listening. This has been Trey. And this is Kelsey. Peace. Bye. Bye.